This is the West Point Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us online this week. If you'd like to give or support West Point Church in any way, you can visit westpoint.org slash give. We hope you enjoy today's message and have a great rest of your week. Well, good morning, church. It's so good to see your smiling faces. We are glad that you're here. If you're not smiling, we can work on that. We can get there. Uh, we're excited this morning for uh, to continue this message series in the book of Acts. And if you have a Bible this morning and you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 23, that's where we're going to land. Uh, I'm going to give a little bit of a recap of the last couple of chapters because we're skipping from chapter 20 where we were last week to chapter 23 this week. And there's a lot that went on. You know, what's crazy about the book of Acts is like from one chapter to another, there could be three years in between. In fact, uh, there's one point where Paul is ministering in Ephesus and it says, and he was there for three years. And so we don't know half of the stuff that, that went on while he was ministering there. But then there are other uh, points in scripture where they take you kind of day by day, week by week. And, and that's what they kind of do from Acts chapter 21 through Acts chapter 23. All of these events kind of happened back to back within a few weeks time. And so if you remember last week, uh, Paul was sensing the call of the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And he knew inside his heart, he, he knew the Holy Spirit was telling him, there's trouble when you're going to go to Jerusalem. You're going to face some hard times. You're going to be arrested. It is not going to be awesome all the time. But he decided, he committed in his heart to go. He was determined because he knew that's where God wanted to bring him. And so he makes the decision to go to Jerusalem and he heads towards the epicenter of persecution at that time was in the city of Jerusalem. The Roman Empire hadn't yet started um, persecuting Christians. That was coming very, very soon. Uh, but at this point, he headed to Jerusalem and on his way there, it talks about a couple places that he stopped. He met in Syria with some of the believers there. And uh, it says in that passage of Scripture that through the Spirit, they told him not to go. Now, that's an interesting thing to note because it didn't just say, didn't just say, hey, don't go, Paul. <laughs> they were saying, listen, we've been praying and interceding and the Holy Spirit has been showing us things and we don't think you should go. And he says, I'm going anyway. And he goes on to Caesarea, which is on the way to Jerusalem, and he stays there. And the Bible says he stays with this guy, Philip the Evangelist, who was not Philip the Apostle. He was one of the seven that was chosen. If you remember way back in the beginning of Acts when they were having problems organizing the structure of the church and they, they needed people who were going to be responsible for distribution and caring for those who were in need, for orphans and widows, and they appointed these godly men, and he was one of the seven that was given responsibility. And so he visited this Philip guy, and he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied over Paul. Man, four unmarried daughters living at home. Lord, <laughs> I have three daughters, <laughs> but if you could find them a husband, that'd be just fantastic. No, just kidding. But they were prophesying over Paul, and... Uh, and then there was this prophet named Agabus who came up to Paul, took his belt, tied Paul's hands and feet with, 
feet with his own belt and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, that was a true and accurate prophecy. And I believe that Paul believed that it was as well. You know what he said? I'm going anyway. He was determined to do what God had called him to do. It says, when he heard this, uh, when we heard this, we and the people urged him not to go up to, to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Paul continues on. And when he gets to the city of Jerusalem, he visits James. And they share stories and testimonies of what's been going on as Paul has been ministering among the Gentiles. They, they tell Paul, everyone here knows that you're the guy that has been preaching that circumcision is no longer necessary for salvation, that Jesus has provided a new way to be saved. But at the Jerusalem Council, you know, we did tell all the Gentiles, you shouldn't eat food sacrifice to idols. You should observe the dietary laws, some of the dietary laws, because we don't want to offend the people that we're trying to reach. And so in the same way, we think that you ought to purify yourself and offer a sacrifice so that those who you are trying to reach won't be offended. And so while this is happening, during the seven days of purification, Paul is recognized, however. This plan seemed like a great idea, but, but people were like, hey, you're that guy. You're that guy that's been preaching this message that we don't agree with. And so they attacked him, right? And they were trying to beat him up. And some soldiers came and arrested him and probably saved his life in that instance. And so Paul is talking to the centurion that had arrested him. And while he's bound in chains, he says, hey, can I just talk to the people? And for some reason, the guy's like, yeah, you know, we, we had a riot just a minute ago, but let's... Why, let's go for it. Let's, let's see what you have to say. And so Paul addresses the people, and he shares his testimony. And he says uh, who he was, and that he was on the road to Damascus, and that a bright light came from heaven. Jesus spoke to him and asked him why you were persecuting me, and, and he repented of his sin, and he chose to follow Christ. He shares his testimony as he's been after he's been arrested with all the people that were trying to kill him and his testimony causes a second riot so everybody goes nuts again they're trying to get at him and tear him limb from limb and and oh i for forgot to mention this too he addresses them in their hebrew language and so this testimony causes people to freak out then finally he's brought before a tribune or a judge, a Roman official, and the tribune says, you know, we should probably flog this guy to find out why they want to kill him so badly. So he's like, hey, listen, we haven't convicted you of anything yet, but we're going to beat you up to try to figure out why everybody else wants to kill you. Makes complete sense. Paul says, oh, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen. Judge says, listen, maybe we'll skip the beating thing, and you can just explain to us why they want to kill you. Um, so that's where we're kind of starting 
in chapter 23, and we're going to pick it up at verse 1. As you can see, this is a big story, right? There's a lot going on. That's like two chapters of material. If we read through that all, we'd be here till 1 o'clock, and um, now we'll just be here till about 12.45. No, I'm just kidding. All right, chapter 23, verse 1. Here's what it says. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I've lived my life before God in good conscience up to this day. Now, I want to ask a question. There's Paul saying that he's lived a perfect life. Now, clearly he's not because he was kind of in charge of persecuting Christians early on in his, in his career. That was his job. Uh, but he is saying, I had a clean conscience in that. Even though he was doing the wrong thing, he was doing it with a fervent heart. He thought that he was honoring God in that process. He even talked about in his testimony how he stood over Stephen as he was being executed. His early life was a horror show. But his conscience was clean because he was striving to do what he believed is right. So that sent people into craziness. And it says, And the high priest Ananias, this is verse 2, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And then Paul said, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Now, how many would be like, I like that response. Like, boom, got him. Right? <laughs> like, there you go. Now, this, this guy, Ananias, uh, he was the successor of Caiaphas. So Caiaphas was the high priest that, that kind of organized the execution of Jesus. And Ananias was his successor. He was following uh, him. And this guy, Ananias, was not a good guy, by the way. Uh, Josephus, the, the historian, tells us that Ananias was so corrupt that he would, he would steal the tithes that people would give for himself. Uh, he was actually thrown from power in the Jewish revolt when the Jews revolted against the Romans for the first time. He was thrown from power not by the Romans but by his own people because he was so evil and so corrupt. And, and so Paul just roasts him. And, and here's what they responded in verse 3. It says, Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. So Paul's saying that. And then verse 4, it says, Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? Now, at that point, I would probably make some smart comments because that's, that's who I am, right? That's my, my flesh creeping in. Uh, but here's what Paul did, and this is pretty amazing. He said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Wow. That is a very quick change of heart. Paul is actually humbly admitting in this moment that he responded in the flesh, and he's apologizing to the guy who just told him to get punched in the face. That is an incredible spirit of humility. And here's what the Holy Spirit does. He teaches us to overcome our flesh. If I just got punched in the face and you told me to do it, 
my natural response would be anger. And frankly, I might be justified in that anger, but the Spirit of God shifts Paul's response to humility. And he says, you know what? You're right. I was wrong to speak evil of the high priest. I didn't know who he was. Let's keep reading in, in verse 6. Now, now, when Paul perceived that one of the Sadducees and the other Pharisees or that, there, that one part were Sadducees and that the other were Pharisees. So there were, this was a mixed crowd. There were Sadducees and Pharisees here. He cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he said this, dissension rose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or angel spoke to him? All right, so now I want you to understand Pharisees and Sadducees a little bit more. I'm going to give you a little bit of history. You see, Back in the Old Testament, uh, everybody worshipped at the temple. But when the Babylonians came and invaded the land of Israel and they, and they destroyed the temple, now a lot of the Jews were exiled into other parts of the world. The ones that remained did not have a place to worship any longer. And so they started studying in smaller groups. And these smaller places where they would study the word of God were called synagogues. Have you heard of synagogues before? They're, they're all over the place still. You can find them in the Twin Cities. But they were these, these smaller houses of worship where they would come together. And in that kind of intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was about 400 years. And there were three groups that kind of formed in that time period. And so one of those groups uh, was called the Essenes. And then one was called the Pharisees, and then the third was called the Sadducees. Now, the Essenes aren't mentioned in this passage of Scripture, but they were kind of like uh, your hippie um, worshipers of God. They, they lived in, in communal living. They, they committed to poverty. Um, their priests were celibate. Uh, that was just kind of part of their culture. So, like, think monks in a monastery or, or something like that. And then... There were the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were the conservatives. They adhered to a literal interpretation of Scripture, a strict adherence to the law. Uh, they believed in the resurrection of the body after death. And then the Sadducees were on the liberal side of things. So they acknowledged that there was a God, but they focused on this life and did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so... This is what Paul does. It says he recognizes the situation. Verse 6 says he perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees. And through wisdom, he looked at that situation and said, hey, I'm not going to get a fair trial here. But I think I can use this situation to my advantage. So he says, oh, by the way, I'm a Pharisee. My dad was a Pharisee, and Pharisees are awesome. Now, in reality, the Pharisees were probably the people that wanted to kill him the most in this group. All right? But the moment he does that, all the Pharisees are like, 
He's a Pharisee. Yeah, I'm with that guy. Everything changed. And now they're, they're fighting with each other. And Paul's just like, I'm just going to step back here and let you guys do your thing. You cannot worry about killing me for a second and, and fight with each other. And so this big uproar starts, and the Pharisees are like, hey, we believe in spirits. We believe that in resurrection, maybe somebody did speak to this guy. When in reality, they were just trying to fight with, with the other guys. And he used that to his advantage. He used the wisdom that God had given him. And so they began to fight with each other. <laughs> and now the, the, the people, the very people that wanted to kill him are now defending him to the rest of the crowd. And another riot breaks out, right? Verse 10, And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. Now, I would imagine at that moment that Paul is going through a hard time. He's down in a prison cell. He came to Jerusalem. He hasn't even been there for a week yet. Like this was during the first seven days of purification. He's already in prison, not knowing if, if he'll ever be released again. That's the second time that, that Paul had been imprisoned. In fact, a few chapters ago, we read about what happened in Philippi uh, with, with Paul and Silas. But I think he knows that this time is different. And I want to just ask us to imagine, to put ourselves in Paul's shoes in this moment and what might be going through his head. All the different prophecies that he had heard over the last couple of chapters saying, hey, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested. Don't go, Paul. Don't go. And he's probably sitting there thinking, yeah, maybe, maybe they were right. He's probably pretty discouraged. He's probably pretty upset. The people that he was trying to share his testimony with were like going crazy and trying to tear him apart. And verse 11 shows us a little bit about our God. It says this, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Now that's a significant statement because Paul had said from a long time ago that he was headed to Rome, that God had put on his heart that he was to go to Rome. And he probably didn't end up going to Rome in the way that he expected with an armed guard. But I guarantee you at that moment when the Holy Spirit spoke to him and reminded him of where he was headed, he was encouraged. His faith was strengthened in that moment. And I love how it phrases it. It says, the following night, the Lord stood by him. Can I tell you something? When you're going through something difficult, when you're going through hardship, when you're facing things that are tough in your life, the Lord stands by you. That is our hope. He stood 
on behalf of Paul. He stood for him, and he stands for you too. And as you're faithful in what he's called you to do in that moment of crisis, he's going to remind you that he's standing there with you. Do you know there were five times in Scripture that the Lord appeared to Paul, that it, it phrased it that way in the book of Acts? The first time was on the road to Damascus when he appeared to him with a blinding light, and that was kind of that confrontational moment. But then the other four times were all during a moment of crisis in his life. The second time was when Paul didn't know what he was supposed to do. He was searching for direction, and he got a vision of a man from Macedonia. The Lord appeared to him in that way, showed him that vision, and he had direction. He knew where he was supposed to go from that point on. The third time was when Paul was in Corinth, and everything was going wrong, and it says that the Lord appeared to him and encouraged him. And then in this moment, in prison, all alone, just doing what God had called him to do, knowing the hardship that he faced, and the Lord appeared to him to give him strength. The fifth time we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks happens on a boat, um, but we'll get there. Now, as we close this message this morning, I'm going to have our worship team come back up and um, I'd love to sing that, that Touch of Heaven song one more time because I think that really fits here today. But I want to tell you a tale of two prisoners. You see, the prison that Paul was thrown into that night is the exact same prison that Peter was thrown into earlier in the book of Acts. And Peter, in his prison was set free. Remember, the guards fell asleep, the chains fell off, an angel of the Lord came out and rescued him. But Paul would never leave those chains behind. He would be imprisoned for the rest of his life. Can I tell you something that's true about God? Sometimes the Lord delivers us, and sometimes he gives us the power to endure. Paul would be in chains for the rest of his life, but he did not see himself as a prisoner of the Roman government. In fact, he said it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. He says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Isn't that good? You know, we can... We can look at our life and our circumstances and when we're going through something difficult, when we're walking through a fire, when we're, we're being tested and tried. And we have, we have two choices. We can allow those circumstances to change the way that we behave and change the way that we respond and dictate our behavior, or we can say, I'm not going to be deterred. I'm not going to be um, dismayed. I'm going to follow 
my God, and he's going to stand with me. And I'm going to endure anything for the sake of the calling that God has placed on my life. Why? So that others might obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus, that's in me for all eternity. Remember, the circumstances of your life might tell you you're a prisoner, but God tells you you're free. And no matter what you're facing, He stands with you. It's like that song we sing, there's another in the fire, right? Talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as, as they're sitting in the fire and they're, they're wondering what their life is going to be like. And they're like, our God can deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we still won't bow to your God. And in the same way, Paul is saying, no matter what my situation is, whether I'm in prison, in chains for the rest of my life, I know who stands with me. And my hope is... And my strength is in him.